tell us the first question on everyone's mind. Uh-huh. How tall are you? How tall am I? I am um, 195 in metric, which is about six foot four. Okay, yeah, no one knows metric. It's okay, <laughs> fine. Good. Okay, and you don't sound like you're from around here. Where I'm are you afraid from? not. No, I, I am. Obviously, I do. So, yeah. I'm just, yeah. No. Where are you from? Uh, I, I grew up just outside of London, um, born in High Wycombe. Um, so, I was a Wycombe Wanderers fan um, growing up. Great. <laughs> um, and you brought some, so you've got some family here with you today? Yes, uh, I've got my wife, Kat, and maybe about a 35-week-old baby inside as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> good. Wonderful. So very exciting. Um, now tell us, what do you get up to during the week? What, what's your day, your day job, and or day jobs, actually, in your case? Um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm another, another medic, so I'm um, working A&E um, as, a, as a trainee, so that's on the training pathway I'm on, and I also do one day a week at um, Cornhill Bible College through in Glasgow. Okay, great. Um, do you just do night shifts on the A&E, or do you... You, 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 you sometimes go from, from night shift on A&E straight into your Bible college, is that right? When I'm feeling extra holy. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Great. Well, Alex is going to uh, help us continue through our passage in, in Matthew's Gospel. Um, now, there may be some questions that come to mind. Um, do think about those and ch- tap those into our app or um, hopecityedinburgh.org forward slash Q and R. And we will have a go at the R, that's sort of the response, uh, a bit later on after Alex has spoken. And when I say we, Alex is going to answer them all for us. Oh, well, um, but Ho- uh, Horst will uh, post a link for those online to do that as well. Thank you, Alex. Lovely. Thank you, Ed. I'm just going to have to adjust the stand. <laughs> it's the 195 metric. Um, good. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, can you remember the last time that you were really angry? Maybe someone did or said something in such a way that touched a nerve and you felt a rage boil up inside. Um, last week, we were looking after our one-year-old nephew, and at the end of every meal, just as he had eaten that delicious last mouthful of mushed-up vegetables, there would be a moment of realization that it was all over. The red mist would rise, and he would roar. Perhaps for you, it's been a really hectic day. You haven't stopped since you woke up. The kids won't stop. You're, you're trying to make the dinner, and the kids just won't stop squabbling. Or perhaps your sibling is winding you up in such a way that only siblings can. Or at work, you have a colleague that keeps cutting corners who is not pulling their weight. And when something good does happen, they are the first to put up their hands and take credit. And you feel so frustrated. One of my good friends from university is a super friendly, laid-back, smiley guy. But on a rugby pitch, it is a different story. He told me of a game of inter-house rugby at school, inter-house rugby, when someone from the other team, someone he considered a friend, did something in a scrum he took offense to. And so he decided the most appropriate course of action was to go up to him and headbutt him. Um, But what was interesting was that although he knew looking back it was quite an overreaction, he does remember at the time, in that moment when he had felt so wronged, that he felt completely justified in his anger. And we can relate to that, can't we? Perhaps not headbutting someone, but feeling totally justified in our anger and convinced that any anger that flows out of that anger is legitimate, for we feel we have been wronged. So is it okay for us to be angry? 
Is it okay for us to act out of our anger? We are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is laying down the blueprint of what it looks like to be part of his kingdom of transformed hearts, what it means to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. The Sermon on the Mount spans from chapter 5 to chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel, and over the last few weeks we've covered the first 20 verses of chapter 5. It may seem like slow progress, but we are, we're, we're getting there. Um, and from here to all the way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus applies those principles which he laid down at the beginning. And interestingly, the very first application Jesus makes is on the subject of anger. We're going to read the passage together now, and Lorna is going to come and read for us. Thank you, Lorna. Great. So we're in Matthew 5, and we're starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Thank you, Lorna. So we are going to start off with a super speedy poll. If you have your phones handy, get them out and follow the instructions on the screen. Either scan the QR code, probably the quickest way, or go via the app or the website. And the question that has been asked is, which of the Ten Commandments do you think is easiest to keep? Vote now. You've got about 30 seconds before we show the answer. Um, So the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law that was given to Moses by God for the people of Israel after they escaped Egypt and on their way to the Promised Land. And so if you're like me, when you have a list in front of you, all you want to do is get a pen out and start ticking things or crossing items off. Perhaps we think we're maybe doing pretty well on some of them, not so well on others, maybe terrible on a couple. Um, So if you haven't had enough time, we're going to start jumping up the results of the poll, if that's okay. This was integral to my talk going well, so thank you for, for, for going along with it. Um, there it is, 60, 60% have said that you shall not murder is the commandment we think is easiest to follow. And I think this gets us into the mindset of the scribes and the Pharisees who approach the law as a sort of tick box righteousness. And on this commandment, you shall not murder, now 63%, they were surely convinced that they were home and dry. But we can see from the previous verse, 20, 
that their strategy of tick box righteousness isn't going to cut it in the kingdom of heaven. Look at that last verse. They will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think the reason Jesus looks at this sixth commandment first is to illustrate why they certainly will not enter. For in this command, which they were so convinced that they would have obeyed perfectly, and for us, the command we all think is the easiest, they, like us, had fallen short. And why was that? It was because they had never understood what the law was truly about. So in this next block in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is going to take six different aspects of the law, and each time he's going to use the same phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And when Jesus says you have heard that it was said, this isn't him quoting scripture where he would usually say it is written or Moses said. It is a reference to something that they have heard. The average Jew wouldn't have been able to read the scriptures themselves. So all that they knew was what they had been taught to them by the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so when Jesus says, but I tell you, he is correcting their misunderstanding of the law. He is with authority as the son of God, revealing to them the true meaning of the law and bringing to life what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom. And in each of these but I tell you's, we see the theme that Jesus is far more concerned with what's going on in our hearts than simply our actions. That not in the rules we are trying to follow, but in the right heart that we are following with. That the surpassing righteousness that will grant us entry into the kingdom of heaven where the scribes and Pharisees have failed is an inside-out righteousness that flows from a transformed heart. And so what is the big problem with anger? Up on the screen, we have a roadmap of where we're going to help us follow along. Um, But applying the principles of the kingdom to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said that murder will be, that, that anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He is saying, you think you're in the clear if you haven't murdered someone. But I tell you that if you have been angry in your heart, then you are not in the clear. He is saying that the root problem of the outward action of murder is an inward heart of anger. You might be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel back in Genesis, where we see how the jealous anger of Cain toward his younger brother leads him to murder him while they are out in the field. It was his heart of anger that led him to murder his brother. And while our anger may not have led us to murder, we will have seen the hurt and damage that it can cause. And I think this is another reason why this is, why this is the first application Jesus makes because he knows just how damaging anger can be to our relationships with one another. One of the big problems with anger is the disproportionate amount of damage it can do in a short period of time. At its extreme murder, but in all other sorts of ways, can cause damage that is really difficult to repair. And the aspect of anger that Jesus is going to draw our particular attention to is interestingly not our actions, it is our words. Verse 22, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I'm sure many are intrigued, what is this word, Raka? 
this Aramaic insult referring to, well, the best translation I have found for this is something along the lines of calling someone empty-headed. It is to question their intelligence, essentially calling them stupid. Um, you fool is far more familiar to us, and this is less about a person's intelligence, but it is to call into question their wisdom. It is to question their character. And we can see in Jesus' mind quite how big a problem it is to use these sorts of angry words that stem from an angry heart. If we say raka, we will be answerable to the court. And if we say you fool, we will be in danger of the fire of hell. And I don't think we are to take this to say that you fool is a much worse insult than raka. Rather, that Jesus is using this progression to emphasize just how serious it is to speak these words of anger. And we know from our own experience just how damaging words can be. How hurtful words spoken in the heat of a moment can be so cutting. Words that as soon as they've left our mouth, we instantly regret. And as we speak about these things, you may be very aware of the problem of anger in your own life and the hurt it has caused. We may recall vividly times in our life, either long ago or more recently, where our anger has caused real hurt to people we love. It may have caused lasting damage to relationships which we've struggled to repair. Or you may have been on the receiving end of an angry outburst of someone close to you and have been deeply wounded, perhaps left in fear, and are still healing from those wounds. Or you may be sitting here thinking, none of this applies to me at all. I'm not an angry person. But perhaps you do have a tendency towards a more subtle form of anger in your heart. You may harbor negative thoughts towards others. You may speak about people in an unkind way, either to them or about them. You may never say these words out loud, but is it possible that deep down that you are holding on to resentment towards others? What is the solution to this problem of anger we find in our hearts? Well, what we need to remember is that as Jesus lays down his blueprint for his kingdom, he is not setting an even higher bar for us to enter his kingdom, leaving us all in despair. Rather, he is inviting us to lay down our efforts, to stop trying to tick those boxes, he is in, and to invite him to transform our hearts. To know that in his mercy on the cross, he has forgiven us for our failings, he has wiped our slates clean and given us a transformed heart. But as I'm sure we're all too aware, the transformation of our hearts is not an overnight process. Yes, our slates have been wiped clean. Yes, our salvation is secure. But the process of our hearts being transformed takes a lifetime. And so if you have felt conviction in your heart as we have spoken about anger, be encouraged that this is evidence of Jesus working on your heart. It is a green shoot of the transformation he is bringing in your life. Perhaps you need to be reminded of the transforming power of his forgiveness to know that your slate has been wiped clean, to know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or you may need to feel the transforming power of his healing from times when you have been really hurt by the anger of others, to know the love and comfort of your Father in heaven. And we're going to take a bit more time at the end to reflect on these things in prayer. 
and worship. But for now, a quick word on righteous anger. Now, I'm sure lots of people have questions on this. In what situations is it okay for us to be angry? I think this is a really tricky question. I don't think I've got a definite answer. But in a situation where we have been truly wronged by someone, perhaps in a terrible way, anger is a very natural and understandable response. Now, Jesus in this passage has spoken very clearly if that anger in our hearts leads us to want to hurt that person, either in our words or actions or simply holding on to a resentment in our hearts, then this is not a righteous anger. But I think that we can want, legitimately want justice for the wrong that has been done to us. And I think this is what it means to be righteously angry, to legitimately want justice. But what we need to remember here is that as sinful humans, we are not the instruments of justice for wrongdoing in the world. It is God alone who will ultimately bring justice. And we can trust in his justice that one day he will make all things right. And if there is anyone who can be righteously angry, it is God himself at us for how we have all wronged him in our sin. But what does he do in his anger? Well, rather than unleashing his wrath, he chooses to show us mercy. He loves us so much that he sends his son to die on the cross to forgive us. And so in those situations where we have been wronged and we are left feeling angry, what are we to do? Well, I think all we can do is run straight to our Father in heaven to trust that as the perfect judge one day He will make all things right. And to pray that in the same way he has loved and shown mercy on us, that somehow we might be able to show that love and mercy to the person who has wronged us. This is the miracle of a transformed heart. This isn't easy at all. And we're going to look more at what it means to love our enemies in a few weeks' time. But if you have any more questions about this, please put them in there. Q&R, and we'll see what we can do about it at the end. We're making, we're making good, good progress. So verses 23 to 26, we have two examples where relationships have broken down as a result of our anger, and there is need for reconciliation. And I think Jesus is being very practical here. He acknowledges that we're not going to get this right all the time. And so he gives us wisdom for what we are to do when relationships have broken down and how to make things right. Let's take a look at the first example. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, to understand this example best, I think we need to try and put ourselves in the shoes of a first century Jew. This would have been a really big deal. Coming to the temple to give a gift at the altar, this was God's table, the place where offerings were given to him. And we don't know the exact gift that was being given, perhaps a sacrifice or something else in an act of worship, but it would have been something important, something that would have taken a lot of thought and time to prepare something that would have been costly. 
And just as you're about to finally give your gift at the altar, a light bulb flashes and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And I think we are to take this to say that this is something legitimate against us. This has immediately followed Jesus' teaching on anger. Perhaps in our anger we have said the word fool or racker. And the dilemma is, is to whether to continue in our act of worship or to first go and be reconciled to that person we have wronged. And I think the answer that Jesus gives here is actually quite surprising. He says, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, at this point, the priority is not our worship to God. It is to go and be reconciled with our brother and sister. Now, what point is Jesus making here? I think what I think he's saying is that in his kingdom of transformed hearts, that our vertical relationship with him is already secured. And now living in his kingdom, where we have have a secure relationship with him, there is a priority to go out and pursue right relationships with one another. And in this example, we see the urgency of this, that as soon as it comes to mind that we have wronged someone, we are to stop what we're doing, even if that is worshipping God, and to go and seek reconciliation. And what the reconciliation may look like will vary a lot depending on the situation. It may be that all that's needed is an apology, us swallowing our pride and admitting that we were wrong. Or it may be a much more difficult situation, perhaps a relationship that has broken down long in the past that is going to take a lot more healing to mend. And it might be that as we speak about this, you are all too aware of the hurt and pain that is caused by a broken down relationship. Perhaps long ago, a relationship broke down with someone close to you and you have long since given up on being reconciled to that person. But know that there is something remarkable about the kingdom of heaven, that no matter what the situation is, however hopeless and impossible the reconciliation may seem, Jesus says, with me in my kingdom, it is possible. For how impossible it seemed for us to be reconciled to God, yet through his son Jesus and his death on the cross, that reconciliation was made possible. And so in his kingdom of transformed hearts, reconciliation with one another is possible. And so if there is a situation coming to mind of an unreconciled relationship, be encouraged that this again is evidence of Jesus working on your heart. Another green shoot of the work that he is doing to transform your life. So in our final example, Jesus gives another situation of what reconciliation looks like in practice. Here we have an ongoing dispute. It seems serious. Our adversary is taking us to court. Where are we going? It seems, again, we are the person who is in the wrong. Perhaps in our anger we have said or done something, perhaps that word racker again, our adversary is not happy and is taking us to court. I hope I don't get in trouble for how many times I've said the word racker, but that's okay. And if we don't do anything, then things are about to escalate. Our adversary may hand us over to the judge, the judge may hand us over to the officer, and we may be thrown into prison and will not get out until we have paid the last penny. And Jesus says to avoid this spiral of escalation, we are to settle matters quickly with our adversary while we are still together 
on the way to court. Now, the wisdom Jesus is giving here is the importance of seeking early resolution of a dispute before it escalates, that at the earliest opportunity, we are to seek reconciliation. We may think of a situation where in our anger, we have said something hurtful to someone. Jesus says, there and then, swallow your pride and apologize. Or perhaps at work, you and your colleague disagree about something and you get annoyed at one another, Jesus says straight away, seek to make things right before it becomes really difficult to work with them. And if something has been ongoing for a while that has escalated, as we see in this example where you are literally on the way to court, Jesus says even then, seek to settle matters before things continue to escalate. Jesus encourages us, uh, is us that in his kingdom, that no disputes that no broken relationship is beyond reconciliation. I'm going to land the plane there. Um, we have touched on some really tricky things today. Um, so I'm going to invite Ellen and the band up now. Um, they're going to lead us in a time of reflection before we sing our final song. Um, if there is something particularly difficult that has come up for you today, maybe touched your heart, we'd love to try and help. Come and speak to one of us, Ed or I at the end, or someone else you know. Um, come and chat to us, pray with us. Um, or if there's something more private that you prefer to explore, then we've always got our wonderful pastoral care team that can be contacted on that slide, care at hopecityedinburgh.org. In this passage, we have seen the application of the principle from the Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Praise God that in his mercy we have been reconciled to him. And may that encourage us to seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. Amen.